I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw and Happy Valentine's Day. My plan today is to tell you all about love, my favorite four-letter word. But the first thing we're going to do is tell you all about KPFA's new apprenticeship program because that's the big deal. Hello. Tell, 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 darling. Hi, this is Maxine Wyman, and I wanted to say hello and thank Jennifer for letting me stop by and talk to her listeners about KPFA's First Voice Apprenticeship Program. This program has been available at KPFA for 20 years, and it is a program that trains women and people of color in radio production. It's a year-and-a-half program divided into three phases. Phase one, apprentices learn basic sound theory and radio production and group process, um, talking about race, class, gender, sexual orientation, ethnicity, age, political and religious differences. In phase two, we emphasize engineering, producing for the apprenticeship's weekly radio magazine called Full Circle, which is on every Friday evening at 7 p.m. And in phase three, the apprentices produce the Full Circle radio program. We're currently accepting applications for phase one. Um, the deadline is this Friday, uh, February 17th at 5 p.m. Um, if you can fax your application in or mail it or bring it by, we'll be glad to accept it. Applications are available um, online or you can call KPFA and request an application. Uh, once we receive your application, we'll be holding an orientation for the First Voice Apprenticeship Program on February 23rd and then we'll have interviews on March 3rd. I'm sorry, that's March 4th and 5th of this year. So if you are interested in radio, please apply. Maxine, what's the extension here at KPFA if they want to call and ask you about things? Our phone number, of course, is in the five and dime area code, 848-6767, extension. Well, all they have to do is ask for the apprentices. And okay. They'll be transferred to us. Okay, I thought we had a number. Yes, we do, but I unfortunately, <laughs> forget <laughs> it. Forget it, darling. Forget it. Perfection is not of this world. Happy Valentine's Happy Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Somebody's going to call in and tell us that, you know. In the meantime, I'm going to mix the sublime with the silly. <laughs> I'm going to talk about Valentine's, and I'm going to start with Gertrude Stein because. Gertrude and Alice had the greatest love affair of the 20th century, as far as I'm concerned. Thanks again, Maxine. She wrote a little poem called A Very Valentine. 
Very fine is my valentine, very fine and very mine. Very mine is my valentine, very mine and very fine. Very fine is my valentine and mine. Very fine, very mine and mine is my valentine. <laughs> Let me read you just... One more little bit of uh, Gertrude Stein. It's in a section titled Bundles for Them, A History of Giving Bundles. I found this. It's in the wonderful collection called Writings and Lectures, 1909-1945. And it's a Penguin book. You can find it in every used bookstore. It just says Gertrude Stein, Writings and Lectures. Here it is, yes. This is the bit that I think, I believe, describes Gertrude's uh, love for Alice Toplis. She writes, If you hear her snore, it is not before you love her. You love her so that to be her beau is very lovely. She is sweetly there, and her curly hair is very lovely. She is sweetly here, and I am very near, and that is very lovely. She is my tender sweet, and her little feet are stretched out well, which is a treat and very lovely. Her little tender nose is between her little eyes which close and are very lovely. She is very lovely and mine, which is very lovely. I remember uh, once reading in one of the... uh, biographies or autobiographies that Alice Toklas liked to uh, type up Gertrude's work. Uh, She said you had to read it out loud and read it very carefully one word at a time. I think I became enamored of Gertrude Stein when I uh, listened to it set to music, Virgil Thompson's Four Saints in Three Acts. That's the one that hooked me, yes. Pigeons on the grass, alas, and a magpie in the sky. It's a wonderful opera, if you get a chance. Uh, I think it's still out. I'm sure it's out on uh, uh, CD. It's Virgil Thompson's music, Gertrude Stein's lyrics, Four Saints in Three Acts. And you just listen to it for a few days, and then finally... The charm, the words get to you. Or you can start with tender buttons. Anyway, I'll do a Gertrude Stein day very soon. Uh, I just thought I should start with what I call a successful romance, a successful valentine. Last night I was going through all my books on uh, poetry, love poetry, and I find that most of them are laments, uh, lost love, that sort of thing. Yes, the uh, angst, the pain... And I wound up, of course, with the portable Dorothy Parker. (laughs) Yes. Making the world safe for satire. That was Dorothy's job. 
obviously hasn't been achieved yet. As we see, a couple of cartoons set the world on fire, making the world safe for satire. I was thinking about the cartoons on the bus on the way down here today and uh, looking at all the nice people, and I thought, how nice people are one at a time. But when they get into mobs and groups, they're so deadly and so very, very dangerous. I was thinking about being an English teacher back in the eighth grade, and I remember we used to uh, try to figure out, I'd write it on the board, this this uh, line, and we tried to figure out, the line was, how do we distinguish between what we have a right to do and what is right to do? Two definitions of the same word, right. Yes, I remember one of the women, one of the girls telling me that women had traded uh, their influence in the world for rights, for their civil rights, what they had a right to do, preferring the law. It's curious. Um, It's all semantics, folks. As we used to say in the 50s, define your terms. That's my new mantra. Every time I turn on the TV, I'm screaming, define your terms. Of course, we have a right to draw silly pictures, uh, to put beards on our gods and so forth. But uh, it is not always the right thing to do. It is not always a good choice. Yes, taste, taste, my friends. Anyway, I pulled down the laments, the sad songs, and I put them in a pile, and then I had another pile. Yes, Christina Rossetti's pile. Oh, the one that starts with the birthday of my life has come, my love has come to me. And I thought, oh dear, that's entirely too cheerful. We can't have that. Not at the uh, uh, beginning of the 21st century when everything is hell. The top of the pile of uh, laments, loss, and sad love has to be four lines anonymous. Yes, this was my most favorite when I was young and full of angst, Anonymous wrote. O western wind, when wilt thou blow that the small rain down can rain? Christ, that my love were in my arms, and I in my bed again. That's the biggie. The other one four lines that I have kept and carried with me for half a century is Sam Beckett's. He wrote, I would like my love to die and the rain to be falling on the graveyard and on me walking the streets mourning the first and last to love me. Hmm. While we're at it, let us take the bull by the horn, so to speak, and go all the way. Uh, Yes, I think so. Yes, I think I will try it. Uh, Let us go all the way to uh, the masterpiece by uh, Samuel Beckett. I have it here somewhere. Dear old Samuel Beckett's poem, Cascando. I think it is... Uh, after all this time, 
my favorite uh, because, of course, it speaks of, you know, the huge, the huge, uh, the mountain, the anguish of love, the cascando. Um, and he refers so many times to um, his parents, obliquely, of course, uh, you know, the sort of thing where he says that if you do not love me, I shall not be loved. That is addressed to a parent, we know that. If you do not love me, I shall not be loved. Then he says, if I do not love you, I shall not love. Let's read the whole poem, Cascando. One, why not merely the despaired of occasion of words shed? Is it not better abort than be barren? The hours after you are gone are so leaden they will always start dragging too soon. The grapples clawing blindly the bed of want, bringing up the bones, the old loves. Sockets filled once with eyes like yours, all always. Is it better too soon than never? The black want splashing their faces. Saying again, Nine days never floated the loved, Nor nine months, nor nine lives. Two, saying again, if you do not teach me, I shall not learn. Saying again, there is a last even of last times, last times of begging, last times of loving, of knowing, not knowing, pretending. A last even of last times of saying, If you do not love me, I shall not be loved. If I do not love you, I shall not love. The turn of stale words in the heart again, Love, 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 thud of the old plunger, Pestling the unalterable way. Of words, terrified again, of not loving, of loving and not you, of being loved and not by you, of knowing, not knowing, pretending, pretending. I and all the others that will love you, if they love you. Three. Unless they love you. That was written in 1936 by Samuel Beckett. It's called Cascando. Uh, let's jump around and have some fun. Let's read Ezra Pound. Silly old Ezra Pound. This is a sad one, yes. From a 
silly old, yes, it's called Silet. It is enough that we once came together. What is the use of setting it to rhyme? When it is autumn, do we get spring weather or gather May of harsh north windish time? It is enough that we once came together. What if the wind have turned against the rain? It is enough that we once came together. Time has seen this and will not turn again. That's Ezra Pound, approximately 1912. That's a long time ago, my goodness. <laughs> yes. Here is Emily Dickinson. Dear Emily Dickinson's masterpiece. This is the great one. Uh, it's curious because it fits every occasion. Uh, it is a finality that, uh, yes, is almost, it's, well, it's funereal, but it's more than that. Um, let's see. Emily Dickinson, born 1830, died 1886. Still very much with us. She writes, after great pain, a formal feeling comes. The nerves sit ceremonious like tombs. The stiff heart questions, was it he that bore? And yesterday, or centuries before? The feet, mechanical, go round, of ground or air or aught, a wooden way, regardless groan, a quartz contentment like a stone. This is the hour of lead, remembered if outlived, as freezing persons recollect the snow. First, chill. Then, stupor. Then, the letting go. Mm, yes, we need a break. Let's move up to Margaret Atwood. Still very much with us, Margaret Atwood. She's younger than I am. She's born in 1939, dear Margaret. <laughs> she writes this wonderful poem called Variations on the Word Love. This is the word we use to plug holes with. It's the right size for those warm blanks in speech, for those red heart-shaped vacancies on the page that look nothing like real hearts. Add lace and you can sell it. We insert it also in the one empty space on the printed form that comes with no instructions. There are whole magazines with not much in them but the word love, you can rub it all over your body, and you can cook with it, too. How do we know it isn't what goes on 
at the cool debaucheries of slugs under damp pieces of cardboard. As for the weed seedlings nosing their tough snouts up among the lettuces, they shouted, Love, love, sing the soldiers raising their glittering knives in salute. Then there's the two of us. This word is far too short for us. It has only four letters. Too sparse to fill those deep, bare vacuums between the stars that press on us with their deafness. It's not love we don't wish to fall into, but that fear. This word is not enough, but it will have to do. It's a single vowel in this metallic silence, a mouth that says, oh, again and again, in wonder and pain. A breath, a finger grip on a cliffside. You can hold on or let go. Yes, once again, she's mentioned this four-letter word. Love, the uses we put it to, using it to plug holes with, indeed. Plug a hole in the heart, as we know on Valentine's Day. The heart is not the organ that pumps our blood center in the center of our chest. It is not that organ at all. <laughs> it is, of course, the female part. I was looking it up in the pagan book of women's secrets. The great vulva, yes. <laughs> it's sex. Lust, yes. Lust and love. Uh, dichotomy there. We seem to have a little trouble with that. Um, I think it's Christianity that separated lust from love. But, <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, no, 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 no. I will not read you more sad poems from this collection. I have a collection called Love's Witness. Five centuries of love poetry by women. I guess you didn't know that they'd been writing about this stuff, not just since Sappho. <laughs> Here's one. Let me read you a sonnet by Edna St. Vincent Millay. God bless her bones. <laughs> it's not the usual Edna Millay. It's a bit of a, yes, as Dorothy Parker would say, inseparable my nose and thumb. This one definitely uh, is snotty. Edna Millay writes, I, being born a woman and distressed by all the needs and notions of my kind, am urged by your propinquity to find your person fair and feel a certain zest to bear your body's weight upon my breast. So subtly is the fume of life designed to clarify the pulse and cloud the mind and leave me once again undone, possessed. Think not for this, however, the poor reason of my stout blood against my staggering brain. I shall remember you with love or season my scorn with pity. Let me make it plain. I find this frenzy insufficient reason for conversation when we meet again. 
very, very un-Edna Malay. Let me read you uh, a more typical, typical Edna Malay sonnet, yes. Um, I was thinking I would read you what lips my lips have kissed uh, and where and why, but everybody knows that one. Yes, sad, 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 you know, about uh, vanished love. Let me try one that I like more. It was the favorite poem of my mother's best friend. Dear Elsa, yes, long gone. She liked this sonnet from Malay. When you are dead, my dearest, and your disturbing eyes no more as now their stormy lashes lift to lance me through, as in the morning skies one moment plainly visible in a rift of cloud, two splendid planets may appear and purely blaze and are at once withdrawn, what time the watcher in desire and fear leans from his chilly window in the dawn, shall I be free, shall I be once again as others are, and count your loss no care? Oh, never more till my dissolving brain be powerless to evoke you out of air. Remembered morning stars more fiercely bright than all the alphas of the actual night. The stuff is real, as we know, <laughs> and the pain is so interesting, yes, that Dorothy Parker feels a need to make constant fun, yes, to make constant fun of it all, yes. <laughs> I was looking, yes, she's written a few sad ones, of course, but... Mm -hmm. This is called Observation. If I don't drive around the park, I'm pretty sure to make my mark. If I'm in bed each night by ten, I may get back my looks again. If I abstain from fun and such, I'll probably amount to much. But I shall stay the way I am because I do not give a damn. This is called The Thin Edge. With you, my heart is quiet here, and all my thoughts are cool as rain. I sit and let the shifting year go by before the window pane, and reach my hand to yours, my dear. I wonder what it's like in Spain. This is called Prophetic Soul. Because your eyes are slant and slow, because your hair is sweet to touch, my heart is high again. But, oh, I doubt if this will get me much. <laughs> this is called De Profundus. Oh, is it then, utopian, to hope that I may meet a man who'll not relate in accents suave the tales of girls he used to have. Here's one that... Hmm. Well, I'll just read it to you. It's the sort of thing we have to remind ourselves about once in a while. It's called A Very Short Song. Once, when I was young and true, someone left me sad, broke my brittle heart in two, 
and that is very bad. Love is for unlucky folk. Love is but a curse. Once there was a heart I broke, and that, I think, is worse. As I was thinking of that, I was reading a scene from Arthur Miller's After the Fall. He's telling Marilyn Monroe, well, basically it's Marilyn Monroe in the play, that she too has caused suffering. Those of us who imagine that we are victims of love and pain should remember once in a while uh, <laughs> yes, that we did a little damage ourselves. Let me finish with my mother's favorite poem called Indian Summer. It's by Dorothy Parker, of course. In youth, it was a way I had to do my best to please and change with every passing lad to suit his theories. But now I know the things I know and do the things I do. And if you do not like me so, to hell, my love, with you. <laughs> I recommend the portable Dorothy Parker. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Until then, do go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Every Friday, happy endings are the rules. So divide up. Always the old, you lead us to the 